And we love that about characters like this that we get to watch. And as we study the life of Moses in the book of Exodus, we love Moses, the Zorro of Egypt, as he delivers his people. And we want to root him on. We want him to have success. We want him to lead the people out of their enslavement. And as Mark read the scriptures this morning, Moses has grown up in this scene. He is raised in all of the education of Egypt. He was a prince. He could enjoy all the privilege and the power that that afforded him. And at this time, as Acts teaches us, he was 40 years old as he went and faced the slave master and attacked him and crushed him and killed him. And to be honest, we go, yes. Yes, he deserved it. And we want to go with with Moses and we want to stand by his side and we say, let's go to court. We will defend Moses. He has freed his people. The, the, the Egyptian was beating the slave so severely. The slave master deserved it. It wasn't premeditated crime. It was a crime of passion. And as a prince of Egypt, he probably had the power of the sword to exact justice. He may have been operating on the principle of, of lex talionis, the law of retaliation, as the Hebrews knew, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. The verb nakah, which is the verb to strike, is also the same verb used to kill. And so we could say, well, the Egyptian slave master was hitting him nakah with the intention to kill him. And so it was justifiable homicide that he delivered the Hebrew. And we want to do that for Moses because we want to be delivered. We in our souls long to be delivered from oppression and and hardship and we want a savior we want a zorro in our lives who will free us from all the junk going on around us and so it's very easy for us as we read the story to say way to go moses way to get the job done but the truth is moses took matters into his own hands and anger got a hold of him And I think it started out as a righteous anger. An anger that demanded justice, which is the heart of God. And yet, instead of turning that anger, that righteous anger over to the Lord and saying, Lord, use me in the middle of this, he just took it on himself. And let anger play out. And the consequence of that is nothing but destruction. The scriptures teach us much about becoming angry. Psalm 4.4 says this, In your anger do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Psalm 37.8 Refrain from anger 
and turn from wrath. It only leads to evil. Have you ever just been so angry that life's circumstance have just, just thrown you such a curveball that you have no place to go but just to anger and you blame everybody, you blame God and, and everybody else because it didn't work out like you expected it to be. And as you tried to fix it, it just fell apart. I remember about five or six years ago, I got to a point, it was just one of those days. Everything that I had anticipated, everything that I wanted to happen, every little step along the day, it just completely went wrong. People were angry at me, I was angry at people, things I expected to happen again were just getting turned around. And I came home and I was just I was just seething with anger. And I started to turn green a little bit. So I went outside onto our deck and I'm just, Lord, this is just not right. And we have we have a redwood deck and in the middle of it is a, a little doughboy round pool and and I came outside and I, I so badly, I just wanted to hit somebody or something. And there was nothing to hit. And I was just like, oh, it just made it worse. And so I looked around me and there was a, a, a furniture, the lawn chair. And so I just took it and I just threw it into the pool. And there was another one and I just threw it into the pool. And, and all of our furniture ends up in the pool. And my wife came home about three hours later and calmly asked the question, Honey, why is all the lawn furniture in the pool? I said, because it looks much better there. A fool, a fool gives full vent to his anger. And it was foolish. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Moses gave full vent to his anger. And we often do. And God is saying, would you turn that over to me? Would you allow me to work in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you take this anger and lay it at my feet and let me calm your heart? Let me help you step back and go, the situation is not out of control, Rod. I have it. But turn to me and let me lead in the middle of that. And so I'd ask of you, and the same goes for me, what anger do we need to just give over to God this morning and just say, Lord, help us. Calm me down, Father. Lord, help me to see that you're in the middle of all this. I feel like I have to fix it. I feel like I'm the only one who can make it right. And it's not going right, and I'm angry. Lord, calm me down. And God does. And the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness and peace and patience, kindness start to flow through our lives. Remember that? As we remain in the vine, we will bear fruit, the life of Christ flowing through us. 
instead of just giving over to anger, other areas of our lives. And see, if we don't lay these matters at Jesus' feet, if we take things into our own hands, if things we feel like they need to be made right by us, again, it leads to destruction. See, it wasn't Moses' place to take out the Egyptian. He was not an officer of the state who was administering justice. You know what? It also wasn't God's will. We don't see anywhere in the scripture where God said, Hey, Moses, here's the game plan. We're going to take out one Egyptian at a time. Here we go. Start with this guy. It's not there. Yet Moses felt that he was supposed to do that. He was out of control. His thinking was out of control. You can tell this even by the fact that he murdered the man, then he buried him in the sand. Moses, the guy who was raised up in all of Egyptian culture, knew one thing very well. Egyptians lived for one thing, the afterlife. We have the great pyramids today where the kings were buried in all of their gold. The Egyptian, when they died, was to be mummified. And there was the Ra and the Ka, these spirit forms that we're supposed to find in the image. They would make the, the mask, the gold mask oftentimes, to, to be in the image of their face and so that the Ra and Ka would find each other and then live in harmony for the rest of eternity. Moses, in his rage, killed the Egyptian citizen whose only longing was for eternity and the afterlife, like all Egyptians. And it was the greatest blasphemy that you could do to a man or woman in Egypt. He didn't care. He just took life, buried him in a shallow grave in the sand, and thought he was the one who was supposed to do that. This is how we will have justice. But the truth is, is that murder is wrong. As we have started this book in the Exodus, and as Jackson has taught us, remember it begins with all of the birth, and they're trying to get rid, because, because God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I love life. I am the creator of life. And the women say, we're not going to listen to that, because we want to preserve life, and we're not going to put these children, these males to death, and so we'll preserve life. And then Moses himself, as they're supposed to kill off the boys, is placed into an ark, a miniature ark, and sent off into the Sea of Reeds. And his life is spared. Moses knew his story. God, the creator of life, the preserver of life. And yet Moses chose to take matters into his own hands and like Cain, took life. As he looked to the left and to the right, you know that the law of God was penetrating his soul at that time. That even though he hadn't come down with the Ten Commandments yet, that the law, thou shalt not murder, was piercing his soul as he looked around to hopefully not be caught. 
Jesus reminds us, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. We know that anger got a hold of him because he didn't step back for a moment and go, what might be my options here? That's where anger takes us beyond. And you and I both, we need to step back and say, is there another way out? Is this action the way to go? I think it's right. I think it's just. He was a prince. He could have ordered that slave master to stop just by his word. Possibly, maybe he could have gone into the courts and said, let's figure out another way to treat the Hebrews. Passion taken into our own hands. I don't want you to miss, also in the middle of this, his heart, his heart for his people. Because it's conflicted against actions that were destructive but it comes from a heart that longs, for again, for God's heart of justice. And one of the things I want to share with you this morning, too, that as you study this passage, there are two wonderful passages that complement this. One is in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, and he gives the, the whole history of Israel. And he talks of Moses there. And in Hebrews 11, about the faith of the great saints, and he speaks of Moses stepping out in faith. And so through those passages, we get the heart of Moses. And I think it was like King David. Remember King David, the murderer, the adulterer. And the scriptures speak of King David, and what do we remember? He was a man after God's own heart. That's what we take away from his story in the Old Testament. He was a man after God's own heart. And I believe Moses was as well. He says, the scriptures say, he goes out to his people. Again, you'd have to ride four to five miles. You would leave all the refinement and the refreshing of your palace and the pools that were made so that you could be cool. And it says he goes out, the word is yatsa, yatsa which is the same word used of the Exodus, the going out, to be with his people, it says in the Scriptures. And he watched them at their hard labor. And that is used in the sense of not just to look upon and see, oh, they're working hard and it must be difficult. It's a gut-wrenching, to the core, I enter into your agony. That's the way to see there means in the language. I ache to the core with you. My heart longs for you. Acts 7 says that God was moving his heart towards his people. And I saw them with great emotion. And it requires compassion. And can you imagine? Moses gave up everything. All of the beauty and the power of Egypt. He may have been the next prince in line. We're not sure, but possibly to be king to be Pharaoh. By faith, Hebrews 11 says, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. Good heart, bad move, all in his own strength. Not trusting God to accomplish his purposes for Israel. Sometimes it's for justice. We demand with the heart of God justice for people. But I think more so it speaks just to the fact of we try when things do not go right, when we expect a certain way, we take matters into our own hands. I will fix this. Sometimes it's to the extreme, isn't it? As people go out and blow up abortion clinics. You know, the heart of that is... We are killing life. That is a great atrocity in this nation and across the world. That's the heartbeat. But then what happens is the individual takes matters into their own hands and says, I will fix this, and therefore I'll blow up your clinic. A great tragedy. It is eye for eye and tooth for tooth. God doesn't have that heart for us. He doesn't want us to take matters into our own hands. I think of our marriages. How often when things go wrong, we want to fix it and we're going to do it the way we know is right. For us as husbands, oftentimes, things are a mess. And we'll say something to the effect of, I'm the spiritual leader of this home. And this is the way it is going to be. I don't want to hear any more about it. And we think we're justified in Scripture that God has called us to be the head of the home. And so this is the way it should be done. And our wives go, yeah, what are you talking about? And God goes, what are you talking about? You're trying to fix this through your own strength, and you're trying to use Scripture falsely, inaccurately, to fix your marriage instead of serving your wife like you should. But we think... This is the way it's going to get done. I'm tired of the mess. The heartbeat is I want to have marriage that's good. But we do that, don't we, men? We try to fix it. We're fixers anyway. And so we'll do whatever it takes to fix it. And we take it in our own hands. We don't beg God, God, show me how to love my wife better. You know, sometimes wives, if husbands are lazy, if husbands aren't taking spiritual leadership, if they're not caring for the family the way you think it should be done and things start to fall apart, wives will decide, you know what, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to take the lead of this home. And they step out of the God-given role that they have and they take the God-given role of the husband because they say, it's not going to be fixed any other way. I'll take care of it. And so they lead their homes outside of what God has for them. Why? Because we think this is the way to get it done. God is saying, will you listen to my heart? Don't you understand? I love your marriage even more than you do. Don't you understand my heartbeat for you? Financial matters. That's one of the easiest areas for us to fix it. Things are a little tight or you have old furniture 
Heck, you don't have to make a payment till 2010. We go, good, that'll fix it. And we step right into debt for the rest of our lives. And God is going, don't you think maybe I want you to struggle here so that you'll realize when I say you are more valuable than the lilies of the field and the birds of the air? Don't you know I care about your situation? And you keep getting ahead of me. I was going to do some wonderful things in your life financially, and yet you thought you had to do it on your own. I'm going to fix it. You know, in this church, I have had the privilege of sitting on the elder council for a little more than a year. And you know what? God has made me the man I am. I I have dreams for this church. I love this church. I want us to move in certain directions. And and so I'll sit on the elder council and say, hey, this is what I think God should do with us. Let's just go try it. And, And if we flop, oh well, you know, but let's just step out and And let's do it. I think God's just stirred me up that way. I'm kind of wired to move. And I want to try things. And and, uh, I get excited about things. And as I sit on the elder council, I found myself recently where I am arguing and fighting for what Richie thinks is the best thing for this church. And I will go on and on, going, this is why we should do this. And I have great reasons I think. And I get very demanding. And man, God has just pierced me in these last several weeks as I've studied this. And basically he's just saying, Richie, just zip it. Just close your mouth. I don't think we're called necessarily to be quiet. I think God has called us to lead. And I think we're to speak what God's put on our heart. But once we've done that, see, here's, here's what we forget and I forget. Don't you know that the Lord loves this church more than I ever will? And I love it a lot. Don't you know that God's in control of where we're going as a church family? He knows all the transitions that are taking place. He knows the hard things going on. He knows the good. And Rod, stop trying to make it fit in your own purposes and and fix it, what you think needs to be fixed. In all of these things, the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, are we stepping back and at least going, Lord, can I hear you in this? Lord, you know what, truly, like the springs on the mattress are piercing me in the back. I'd love to get a new mattress. Uh, What do you think, Lord? Are we at least talking talking to him about stuff like that? Instead of just, we'll make it right. Lord, this marriage, you know? How about just help, God? Marriage is hard. Help me. Love my wife better. There's a famous proverb that we know well, but I wonder if we listen to it very often. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not. That means don't put all of your weight. Whoa. Because it's destructive (laughs) and you'll fall down the stairs there. Oh, my goodness. I thought this thing was attached. Don't put all of your weight on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. He will guide your life. See, again, when we look at things right in front of us, we go, in my understanding, that makes no sense. In my understanding, this will never work out. 
And God is saying, I know that. Will you trust me in your situation? Will you let go? God loves us more. God loves Israel more than Moses ever would. And it is his grace that he wants to show through Moses and show the people of Israel that it's he, Yahweh, I am, who is stepping in because he loves Israel more than anybody ever could. All through the Exodus, we will see that Moses is an image of Christ. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss how God is using him. He's now a despised Hebrew rather than a privileged Egyptian. But God still has some valuable lessons for Moses. Has he chosen the right man? Absolutely. All in his mess, he's chosen him. A man with a justice heart of God. Moses, like the Lord, enters into our situation to save us. He is a deliverer to bring us out of slavery like we are so easily entangled in our sin. To bring about justice, compassion for his people. And God in his constant grace is loving Moses, but he's breaking him down. And let's finish up this chapter too. When Pharaoh heard of this, verse 15, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh. And he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water the flocks. And some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and he came to their rescue and he watered their flock. And when the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they said, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, and he even drew water for us, and he watered the flock. And where is he now? And why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave him his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. You see, this was an incredible time of God working in the life of Moses. Don't you understand? God is in the business of perfection, of perfecting us. And perfection in the scriptures means to mature us, right? Not that we will be perfect, because we never will until the kingdom. But in the meantime, he wants to mature us. He is in the business of making us look more like him. He will not let us stay just as we are because he wants you and I to reflect his image. And when there are things that entangle our lives, sin that so easily wraps us up, he says, I will want to break that. And sometimes that breaking is, is painful. There are things that have a grip on us, and even though it doesn't feel like it, God is delivering us from those things. For Moses, anger. For Moses, thinking it's my way or the highway. For Moses, thinking I am the one, and now is my time. Picture all the beauty of Egypt, all the wealth, all the power, everything that was glorious. And he gave it all up. 
it started his brokenness when he went to his two Hebrew brothers and said, stop fighting. Acts tells us he was trying to reconcile them. And so he thinks in his mind, this is what I am supposed to do. This is who God has made me to be. And what do they say? Who in the world do you think you are? Who made you judge over us? That's the first body blow. Oh, I thought this was my call. And they say, we want nothing to do with you. And they recognize he killed the Egyptian, and so now he is on the run. He's on the lamb. He's a murderer. And he flees to Midian, east across the Sinai, into the land of Midian. Midian, again, were those folks who, who came, and they, they're the ones who bought uh, Joseph, if you remember. Midian came out from the wife, the birth of Abraham and Keturah. Midian became the great oppressors of Israel. If you remember in Judges chapter 6, it is Gideon who goes out to fight the incredible battle against Midian that God will deliver them. And this is where he goes, a place so foreign and unknown, an alien in the land. And he rescues the women at the well and, and and, and it's cool because God is doing his work already. He doesn't kill them, does he? He actually is starting to have the Lord do some change on him in his brokenness. And he actually brings life. He delivers them, and then what does he do? He waters the flock, this image of life-bearing, who Moses is going to be. But don't miss the scene. All of this happens He's in this foreign land. He's absolutely beat down. Everything that he knew is gone. You're, it's the most broken you can be. And he just saves these women. And what do they do? They split. And guess where Moses is left? Sitting at the well. In all of his failure as a murderer, broken to the core. Mike Iaconelli says this in, in a book called Messy spirituality. Spirituality is not a formula. It's, it's not a test. It's a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. It's about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of our spirituality. Not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection instead of seeking God. The one who is present in our tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. And that's where Moses sat, in the mess of his unfixedness. And it's right there that God brought his grace into his life. Reuel, which later becomes, same man, becomes known as Jethro. Reuel, the father image, says to his daughters, 
because the hospitality would offer that, of course you bring them home. He says, bring them back. Grace. God is working. Then he says, let you have a daughter of mine. Grace poured out on Moses. Let me give you a son. Grace, a new life, a new beginning. Moses, I love you in your brokenness, in your unfixedness, and you can't fix it. And allow me so that my grace is poured out into you. And so Moses will learn to be a shepherd for the next 40 years. And God has that for us. Let me step into your brokenness. Let my grace pour out. And live for me. Stop trying to do it on our own. I want to work through you. That's new covenant, isn't it? In our brokenness, he is perfected. In our brokenness, he is used. And so God, as he begins to show Moses, pours himself out, and Moses will become the great deliverer. God has that for you and me. Life in him. In our whole mess and unfixedness. And he says, stop trying to do it on your own. Come to me and let me live through you. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for your forgiveness this morning, Lord Jesus, as we try so much to to make life the way we think it should be. And Lord, I beg of you this morning that you will help us to lean not on our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all your ways. Father, truly, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in our lives. We want to serve you and you alone. Help us to trust you as we go out from this place. Amen.